This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the poor who are outcast into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth as the morning and your healing shall spring forth quickly and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your reward. Then you shall call and the Lord shall answer. You shall call and he shall say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall shine in obscurity and your darkness shall become as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall rebuild the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths in which to dwell. Is this not the fast that I've chosen for you? Lord, we thank you for your word, and I thank you, God, that uh, your word doesn't just encourage and doesn't just inspire us, but it teaches us and it leads us and it guides us. So, Lord, today, my assignment that you've given me is, is, is to do more of a teaching than a preaching. But, Lord, would you help me to teach in a way that's relatable and understandable? And would you inspire us to walk with you in a walk of discipline before you and to experience the miracles of God because we have submitted ourselves to you? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This week, the church, not our church, the church, the, the, the global church, enters into a season that we call Lent. Lent begins this Wednesday. And Lent is a prolonged season of fasting and prayer that takes place over the six weeks leading up to Easter. Just believe that. We're six weeks away from Easter already. Um, Lent has been observed for thousands of years by Christians as they got ready and spiritually prepared for Easter. If you remember back in December, we observed Advent. Advent is the four weeks leading up to Christmas, and it's a season of preparation. Well, Lent is the same thing, but it's leading up to Easter. Our major holiday as believers is Easter, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And so Lent, that word, it just means spring. It comes from the Latin, and, and the word Lent means spring. It's not anything to be afraid of. You don't have to worry about it. It's not, not some kind of strange thing. It's just a word that means Lent or that means spring. And it begins this Wednesday on Ash Wednesday. And I want to encourage you and invite you to be here this Wednesday night. We're going to have service whether there's snow on the ground or not. If you can't make it uh, to drive here, we'll live stream it as well. But if you've never been to an Ash Wednesday service, I want to encourage you to be here this Wednesday at 7 o'clock for a time of prayer and worship as we begin the season of Lent. Now, season, Lent is a, a season of intentional prayer and fasting. 
And we're going to begin a fast. I'm going to ask you as your pastor to join us in a fast for two days this week, starting at that Ash Wednesday service on Wednesday and then breaking the fast Saturday morning with breakfast, men's breakfast Saturday morning, 8.30 a.m. right here at the church. We'll break our fast together, uh, men. And so I want to encourage you to fast uh, for a couple of days this week. And then I want to ask you to fast not only for this week, but every week of Lent, so the next six weeks, I want to encourage you I want to ask you to join me in choosing one meal or one day a week to fast, to, to say, I'm going to spend time with the Lord. I'm going to deny myself some food for one meal or one day a week and spend time with God. And actually, I want to tell you that that's probably a good practice to do all year round is to have one meal or one day a week that you fast for the Lord and, and unto the Lord. And so I want to ask you to do that for Lent this week. It's just one meal or one day a week to spend time fasting. And then we're going to end, like you can see on there, the three days before Easter from our Good Friday service to Sunday morning. We're going to fast again together as a church. So mark this in your calendar. In the Believer's Fellowship app, there's actually a tab in there right now that says fasting for Lent. And there's tons of great resources in there to help you understand fasting and why we fast. And that's what I'm going to be speaking about today is encouraging you and teaching you from the scripture what it means to fast and the benefits of fasting. So Isaiah 58, he is speaking about fasting. God is speaking through the prophet to the people of Israel, and he's saying, this is the kind of fast I'm calling for you, that I'm calling you to. And it indicates that God responds when his people fast. It indicates that healing and restoration take place when God's people spend time in fasting and prayer. We know from the Bible that when God's people fast and repent and seek after God, that the course of history can be changed. Just think about uh, the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. You remember that book when God tells the prophet Jonah to go and, uh, and preach to the people of Nineveh who were living in sin and in wickedness and, and tell them that if they don't get their lives straightened out and if they don't repent and turn toward me, that I'm going to destroy the kingdom of Nineveh. And so the most of the time we focus that story on Jonah's problem because Jonah runs from God. He gets swallowed by the fish uh, or, or thrown out of the boat because there's a storm and then he gets swallowed by the fish and the, the fish coughs him up on the shore and he he figures out, you know, maybe God's speaking to me. And he decides to go finally and preach to the people at Nineveh. But look at Jonah 3 after uh, Jonah goes to Nineveh and he, he finally decides to stop out running God and he preaches to Nineveh and he says, hey, God is telling you, you've been living in sin, you've been living in wickedness, and if you don't repent, something bad's going to happen. God's going to judge you. We'll stop there for a second, not part of my notes, but listen, God judges sin. And God will take care of sin. He's gracious and he sends you people who will tell you, hey, you need to get this right. And a lot of times the way God judges sin is he lets you deal with the consequences of your sin. And so anyway, maybe I'm a Jonah for somebody this morning and God's saying you need to get it right before you have to face the consequences of your sin. Anyway, so Jonah gets to Nineveh and he preaches. He says, hey, you've got to repent. You've got to turn toward the Lord because something bad's going to happen. You're going to have to suffer the consequences of your sin if you don't turn toward God. And look at Jonah chapter 3. It says, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, the king rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. 
He said, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals or herds or flocks taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink, but let people and animals everywhere be covered with sackcloth and ashes. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And who knows, God may relent and with compassion turn from his anger so that we will not perish. I like this king. This king, when he does something, he goes all the way, man. He didn't even let the cows eat for two or three days. He said, nope, we're all going to fast. Everybody, including the dog and the chickens and the cows, we're all going to fast and we're all going to repent and we're all going to turn to it. He says, if you sit under my authority, you're going to repent whether you want to or not. I like that. Some parents could do that. But, you know, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. You don't have a choice whether you're going to be a Christian or not. Come on. He said, I, 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 he said or I'm going to take authority. Everybody in, under the sound of my voice, everybody under my authority, you're going to repent. You're going to fast. You're going to turn toward the Lord. You're going to heaven whether I have to drag you there or not. We're going to make sure we get this thing right. And watch what happens when one man, one man who had a position of leadership, and all of us lead people, Everybody in this room, including the children in the room, every one of us leads somebody else. Somebody's looking to you to follow. And he says, everybody, one man who leads people, he says, everyone who I lead, I'm going to lead into a season of fasting and repentance. And watch what happens. Look at verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had promised. One man fasting and leading others in repentance and fasting turned toward God and seeking out God. He changed the trajectory of an entire nation. You remember the story of Esther? Esther's a great book. You need to go read Esther. It's a great book to read. You know what's interesting about Esther? In the entire book of Esther, God is not mentioned one time in that entire book. Interesting, that, that made it in the Bible. One of the king's advisors in the book of Esther had, had set out a conspiracy to have all the Jewish people in the kingdom killed. But Queen Esther, who was one of the king's many, many wives, was actually a Jew herself. And he had recently married her. He had been attracted to her beauty and thought that she was just a wonderful person. And he had married her and brought her into his household. But he was actually, she was actually a Jew. And Esther's uncle Mordecai learns about the plot of the wicked Haman. You go back and read the story. I don't have time to preach it all. But the wicked Haman, he's got this plot to kill all the Jews. And he manipulates the king into signing it into law. And so Esther finds out about it through her, uh, through her uncle Mordecai. But the problem is, even though Esther has influence with the king, it's illegal to go into the presence of the king unless you've been invited. And so even though she's his wife, she has to wait for him to invite her and then ask her a question before she can go into his presence and talk to him and, and ask him anything. She could literally be killed for approaching the king if he didn't summon you. So Esther risks her life and decides she's going to approach the king whether he invites her or not and hope and pray that he has favor on her so that she can speak and doesn't punish her for approaching him without permission. And when she goes or before she goes, look at what she does and Esther chapter 4 verse 16 she says to she says go gather all the Jews who are present in the region and fast for me 
Fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I, we will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She said, you know what? I, I know that I'm putting my life on the line. And she calls all of the people of God to come together and to fast and pray for her as she's going in to do something brave in order to rescue an entire race and nation of people. And those 72 hours of people fasting changed the history of the world. Because when Esther approached the king after three days of fasting, not only did he show favor on Esther, but he showed favor on the entire Jewish people. Not only were the lives of the Jewish people spared, but they were allowed and given the right and the privilege to fight for their freedom and defend themselves. And they received favor in the eyes of the king for as long as he lived. They were a protected people under his authority because of Esther's time of fasting and prayer. So you can see fasting can change the direction not only of an individual's life, but of an entire community or even a whole nation. Fasting is a powerful tool in the Christian's tool belt. Let me give you a definition, a biblical definition of fasting. Look at this. Fasting is the discipline of abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. For spiritual purposes. Fasting is not a diet. Fasting is not, I just, well, I want to lose a few inches, and so I'm going to fast, and I'll pray a little bit while I do it. No, it is saying, God, I'm going to deny my flesh so that I can spiritually draw closer to you. I'm going to deny my natural needs so that I can fulfill my spiritual needs. That's what fasting is. I like this quote I read. It wasn't contributed to anyone, but it said, fasting is continuous prayer without words. It is a season where I'm just drawing into God. I'm putting everything else aside for a few. Uh, maybe it's just a meal. Maybe it's a day. Maybe it's a week. Maybe it's a few weeks. But I'm going to put everything else aside and just focus on drawing into God. Andrew Murray, if you've never read any books by Andrew Murray, you ought to look him up and get some of his books. He says, fasting helps express, deepens, confirms the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything even ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. Notice he didn't say to attain what we seek for ourselves. Fasting is not just about, I want to get something from God, so I'm going to fast so maybe I can earn some points with God. That's not how it works. Fasting is about saying, no, I'm going to make sure that I'm giving myself to God with everything that I have, and then how can I contribute and add to God's kingdom because I've gotten close to the Lord and I've drawn close to Him. Now, very quickly, I want to go through Isaiah 58, that passage of Scripture that we read, and I have 14 points in my sermon, and I'm going to go really quickly, and Pastor Katie's going to time me, and if I go over like a minute for each point, you need to holler at me and tell me to move on, okay? So that's the deal, all right? Just she, you can't holler at me, she can, all right? Isaiah 58, look at this, verse 6. Is, it not, is this not the fast I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free? Number one, we fast to loose ourselves from the slavery of sin. We fast to loose ourselves from the slavery of sin. Fasting, telling yourself no to your most basic natural desires, food, is practice for temptation to sin. If you can tell yourself no to food, you can say no to a whole lot of other things. 
If you find out how to tell your flesh and discipline your flesh in its most basic needs, then when anything else comes along to tempt you, you're going to have practice. You're going to know how to tell your fleshly desires no because I've spent time with God and I've learned how to discipline my body. Fasting teaches us how to say no to our flesh and how to get our flesh under control. Fasting is practice for sin. It looses us from the slavery, from slavery to sin. Not only does it give us the practical practice to say no, but also it's saying I'm going to separate myself from anything that's going to distract me from God, and I'm only going to seek God for a period of time. And that is that is me. I'm going to put away my sin. I'm going to put away my distractions. I'm going to even say my my girlfriend, I can't spend as much time with you right now. Or I'm going to say to my wife, even like, hey, in the evening, I'm going to spend some time just praying and spending time with the Lord because I need to focus on Him and I'm going to say no to everything else. And listen, you will find out that you can say no to a lot of things if you would just spend some time with God. If you would replace that thing you're struggling with with time with God, you would find victory over that thing. If you struggle with what you look at on this device, if you would put this device down for a few minutes and say, you know what, I'm going to put this down or I'm going to let somebody hold me accountable to what's on this thing. And instead of looking at this, I'll look at this. You would find out, oh, I can actually overcome sin in my life. I can actually live holy. I can actually have consistent victory over sin. Fasting looses ourselves from the slavery to sin. Number two, we fast to free ourselves from heavy burdens. What did Jesus say when he said, if you're weary or you're tired, what did he say? Come to me, all you who are weary and tired, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying, you can come to me and draw near to me and I will lift some burdens off of your life that you've been carrying. Some things you were never supposed to carry. Some battles you're fighting that aren't yours to fight. They're mine to fight. But if you would just spend time with me, you would see I'll lift the burden of the battle off of you and I'll, I'll win the battle for you. Fasting is about trust. When you fast and you say, I- I'm going to say no to-, to my natural needs for a few hours, a few days, a few weeks. When I do that, I'm learning to trust God with my, both, my most basic needs. And that teaches us to trust God even with the burdens of life. If I can trust God with my food, if I can trust God with my health, then I can trust Him with just about anything. If I can trust Him with my life. I can trust him with these burdens that I'm facing in life. Can I tell you, if you're feeling burdened, my prayer for you over the next six weeks as we're in a season of fasting and prayer is that by Easter Sunday, you are a whole new person because you have spent time praying and fasting and in God's word and those things that you have been carrying. And six weeks from now, you're going to be able to walk in here on an Easter Sunday and say, you know what? I am free from the sin that has entangled me and I'm free from the burdens that have held me back and I've got freedom and we're just going to lift the roof off this place because we've been spending so much time in the Lord's presence that he is set us free. Come on, number three. We fast to break the yoke of oppression. We fast to break the yoke of oppression. Look what he says. He says to undo heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. This is talking about two things here. First, spiritual oppression. Christians can still be attacked by the enemy. I don't believe that we can be possessed by demons if, we're, if we've given our life to Jesus and we're living for Jesus. But you know what? He can still come against us and he can still press against us and, and try to hold us back. And spiritual oppression, let me put it this way, in a physical battle, you need to be physically nourished. What's the old saying? An army marches on its stomach, right? 
If that army's hungry, they're not going to win that battle. If, they're not, if their physical needs aren't met, they can't win the physical battle. But in a spiritual battle, physical nourishment is not as important as spiritual nourishment. If you're fighting against the enemy in your life, if you're struggling, if you feel like the enemy is kicking you in the teeth and he is winning in your life, you need to strengthen your inner man. You need to strengthen your spirit man. And you do that not by eating food, but by eating the word and spending time in God's presence. And fasting is the way to do that. So fasting breaks the yoke of oppression. If you remember in Mark chapter 9, a man brings his son to Jesus, disciples. And this son, he says, this, my son, since a child, has been possessed by an unclean spirit. And this spirit has, has uh, caused him to convulse and to seize. And, and he's mute. He can't speak. And, and even the spirit, when it would convulse him, it would throw him into the fire. Or it would throw him into the water to try to destroy him. And the disciples tried to pray for this young man and drive the demon out of him and set this man free. This, this young man free. And they couldn't do it. Now, they had been able to cast out other demons before. If you read earlier in Mark, God had, or Jesus had sent out his disciples to cast out demons. But for some reason, they weren't able to cast this demon out. So they say, well, we can't do it, but we know somebody who can. And they take the boy to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we haven't been able to cast this demon out. And Jesus looks at him and he drives the demon out immediately. Sets the guy free. He's setting up in his right mind. He's totally fine. He's healed. He's delivered. And what does Jesus say in Mark chapter 9, verse 29? He says, this kind comes forth by, by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Nothing but prayer and fasting. He says, if you want this kind of oppression, this kind of attack, this kind of setting where the enemy is attacking this young man's life, you can spend a lot of time uh, and, and be close to me and all this kind of stuff, but if you haven't spent time praying and fasting, you're not going to have victory over this kind. Some of you in your life, you might be facing a, this kind of demon where he is coming against you and you know what? I just can't break free. I can't get freedom from it. He just keeps coming after me about it. My child, maybe my family, there's something that keeps coming and attacking and we have tried everything. We We've gone to counseling. We've taken the pills. We've done the thing. We, we, we've been to the lawyer. We've been to the doctor. We've been to everything. But nothing seems to work. Can I tell you, maybe it's a this kind that only comes forth by prayer and fasting. And if you've got facing a spiritual oppressive, oppressive battle in your life, spend some time fasting over the next few weeks and watch God do a miracle. Now, also really quick. This is actually in Isaiah 58 talking more about economic oppression. It's actually, if you read earlier in the scripture of Isaiah chapter 58, God is actually criticizing Israel because they had been fasting, but while they were fasting and abstaining from food, there were hungry people in the nation who needed food and weren't getting it. And he says, how can you say you're fasting and you're drawing near to me, but you're not taking care of the poor among you? Go back and read Isaiah 58. And so he says, not only is this about you growing spiritually, but fasting is about you learning how to be generous with other people. And he says, what point is it if you, the religious, the churchgoers, the spiritual people, if you're not eating food for a few days, but then there's food in your refrigerator that's going to go bad, and you could go give that to the poor and take care of somebody who really needs it. So he's saying, you, you who are fat, you who are doing well, you who are blessed, you who are taken care of, why don't you step away from the table for a few minutes and let somebody else take a seat at the table and get what they need? 
That's what Isaiah 58 is really about. Because then look at verse 7. Is it not to provide your bread with the hungry and bring the poor who are outcasts into your house? And when you see the naked, cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. So number four, when we fast, we share with the hungry and we clothe the naked. We take out of what we have been blessed with and we give to somebody else. Let me put this to you in a practical way. What if... When you're fasting in the next couple of days, and maybe normally you go get a cup of coffee every day somewhere. You go to Sonic every morning, and you say, you know what, I'm fasting that. Well, why don't you take, I know it sounds silly, but that dollar that you would spend on a Sonic drink, why don't you put that in the offering the next Sunday and designate that to missions? Designate that to something. and say, Or, you know what, we would normally go out to eat on a Friday night, but we're fasting this Friday night, so that 50 that $60, $70 that we would normally spend on a meal, let's give that to the poor. Let's go, let's go down to the food bank and make a donation to the food bank in Havana of 60 or $70 that I normally would spend on my, myself. Because believe me, 50 or 60 or $70 will feed two people at a restaurant, but it'll feed a lot of people at the food bank if you would take it there. That's what this is talking about. The practical aspect of fasting is you stepping away from the table so someone else can sit there. Verse 8. Then your light shall break forth as the morning. Watch what, then, if you fast, and you do it with a sincere heart, and you make sure to take care of the poor when you're fasting, then your light shall break forth as the morning, and your healing shall spring forth quickly, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your reward. Number five, when we fast, God shines his light. When we fast, God reveals things that were hidden. Maybe it's going to be he's going to shine some light on something in your life that he wants to speak to and he wants to deal with and he wants to maybe correct or he wants to maybe uh, 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 expose in your life something you need to work on. Maybe it's God's going to shine his light on a cloud of depression or anxiety or fear that you've been struggling with, that you would spend time separating from your natural desires and fulfilling your spiritual desires. Maybe it's that he's going to shine light and reveal answers that you've been seeking. If you would spend time with him and say, I'm going to separate from the natural and I'm going to connect to the spiritual. When we fast, God shines his light. Number six, when we fast, God's healing power is released. Let me ask you a question. Have you been regularly seeing signs, wonders, and miracles in your life as a Christian? I haven't. I see them every now and then, and I, I feel like I, I've been blessed to see some, some pretty awesome stuff that God has done. But I read the book of Acts and the way the apostles and the early believers walked. And it says that the Lord did signs, wonders, and miracles, and the, the Lord added to their numbers daily those who had come into the kingdom and those who had come. I haven't seen that yet. And I want to ask us a question. If we're not seeing signs, wonders, and miracles in our lives as Christians, have we been praying, fasting, and drawing close to God like we ought to be? Have we been making it a regular practice to separate from the natural and connect to the spiritual, get in God's word, spend time in prayer, give to the poor, step away from the table and quit fulfilling our needs for a minute and fulfill someone else's needs. And would we maybe just maybe start to see signs and wonders and miracles like they saw in the New Testament? Come on. <laughs> I want that. I want word to get out. 
that when you come to Believer's Fellowship, you get healed. I want word to get out that when you ask that church to pray for your son or your daughter, something happens and something shifts and they start living for God and they're delivered from addiction and they're delivered from their, their from sinful lifestyles and there's something that happens when you ask those people at Believer's Fellowship to pray. I want something to begin happening in our church that when they drive down the highway, something draws them in and says, you know what? There's something different about that place than I've ever experienced anywhere else. And the only way we will ever get there is if we start really disconnecting from all the junk of the world and we start saying, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast, I'm going to believe, I'm going to walk in faith, I'm going to take care of the poor, I'm going to make sure that I'm connecting to God, I'm going to seek Him out, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast, I'm going to stop just reading my one little verse a day and I'm going to start getting in time and tarrying at the altar and spending time in God's presence and praying until there's a breakthrough and praying until there's a release. That's what I'm going to be doing and because I need some signs and wonders and miracles in my life. It says that when you fast, your, his healing shall come forth quickly. I need a quick healing. I need a, I don't need to be praying for months and months to see some miracles happen. I need some quick miracles. I need some stuff to start happening right now. And if I would get on my knees and I would spend time in prayer and I would deny my own physical needs to make sure that my spiritual needs are met, maybe I could start to see God's healing power come quickly in my life. He says his healing uh, your healing shall spring forth quickly and your righteousness shall go before you. Number seven, when we fast, we receive grace to walk in holiness. Now, that's not a word we like to talk about. Holiness. The Bible says holiness without which no man sees the Lord. We can't neglect holiness. We can't neglect living a life of holiness. Let me define holiness for you. First, holiness means living a life of consistent victory over sin. Living a life of consistent victory over sin. Doesn't mean you never mess up. But it means that as soon as you mess up, you say, you know what? That's a red light on my dashboard that something is wrong and needs to be dealt with. And I'm not going to keep driving with this red light on my dashboard. I'm going to take it into the shop and get it worked on. Holiness is saying when sin does crop up and temptation does crop up, and when God's light begins to shine on your life and he exposes some things in your life that you say, I'm not going to be satisfied until I've gotten victory over that thing. I'm not going to keep a pet sin. I'm not going to just keep one that, that's a little cute sin. And, oh, it's not hurting anybody. It's not dealing. It's, it's just mine. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a comfort to me. It's a thing. I, no, I'm going to deal with that thing because I want all that God has for me. And this is not what he has for me. So I'm going to put that aside so I can have what God wants. Holiness is a life of consistent victory over sin. And remember that you can get victory over sin if you would fast and you would spend time telling your flesh no. You can find a place of victory. So when we fast, we receive grace to walk in holiness because that means a consistent victory over sin. Holiness also means a life of emotional and spiritual wholeness. Holiness means wholeness. A place where not only are you living a life above sin, but you're living a life where God is in the process of making you emotionally and spiritually whole and healed. So it's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's healing. It's restoration. It's God calling you to walk and be who He created you to be and fulfill the mission that God created you to fulfill. And holiness is... This one's not warm we like. 
perfect love for others. Perfect love for, we don't like to use that word perfect, but the Bible uses that word. He says, be perfect like I'm perfect. He says to strive for perfection and watch what it says specifically in 1 John 4, 12. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If we find a way to love other people, that's when God's love is perfected in us. You can love someone perfectly. I'm not very good at it, but the Bible says that I can. (laughs) And that's something that I ought to always strive for. And listen, it's not enough to just say, I love my wife perfectly and I want to strive for that. I want to love the guy I don't like so much perfectly as well. He says, if we love one another, not just the ones you want to love, but when you find a way, and here's the thing about loving people perfectly, I cannot do it on my own because I am not a perfect human being on my own. But the Holy Spirit inside me is perfect at loving perfectly. He is perfect at loving perfectly. So if I don't love them in my own flesh, or it's hard for me to perfectly love that person, that's when I learn to yield to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit love someone through me. And that's why I fast, because sometimes my flesh doesn't want to love someone perfectly, so i got to crucify my flesh, and I've got to discipline my flesh so that I can yield to the Spirit. When we fast, we receive grace to walk in holiness. Number eight, when we fast, we experience his presence in a special way. He said in, uh, in verse eight, he said, the glory of the Lord shall be your reward. There is just something about when you commit yourself to spending time fasting and praying that you experience God's presence in a real and a, and a powerful way. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I preached on the presence of God. And we know that God's present everywhere, but there are times where we acknowledge his present more and we cut away our flesh and we say, I'm, I'm going to put aside the things of this world and I'm just going to focus on his presence and being in his presence. And when I do that, there is a glory that's there, a glory that is found there. And we talked about if you haven't been experiencing God's presence, get in the word, get in prayer, start worshiping. Now I'm adding another assignment to that and saying, if you want to experience God's presence, would you just push away from the table for a few minutes or a few days? days and say, I'm going to focus on God. And that time that I would spend at the table, that time I would spend filling my mouth, maybe instead I'll start filling my life and my soul with things of the spirit. And I'm going to start to experience God's presence in a way that I've never experienced it before. Verse nine, then you shall call and the Lord shall answer. You shall cry and he shall say, here I am. Number nine, When we fast, God hears our prayers and answers our cry. It's not that God doesn't hear our prayers other times, but there's something about when we have separated ourselves from all distractions and we've just focused on God, it's like the connection is clearer. I don't know how to describe that. It's not that God doesn't want to fulfill your prayers and hear you other times, but there's something about when you spend time just disconnecting from the things of the world and connecting with God that it's just like there's more bandwidth in your prayer life. More stuff gets through. And I think it's maybe, it's not on God. God's not distracted. I think it's on us. 
that we get rid of all the distractions and sometimes even food can be a distraction. We get rid of everything and just seek after Him and God hears our prayer and answers our cry. Look at the rest of verse 9. He says, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, what he's saying here is, if you fast food but also deal with your sin. You know, gossiping, pointing your finger, gossiping, that kind of thing. If you do that, and if you give yourself to the hungry, if you satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall rise in obscurity and your darkness shall become as noonday and the Lord shall guide you continually. Number 10, when we fast, God gives us direction and guides us. God guides us in decision making. I'm not going to, what I'm about to share with you, I'm not going to share with you because I am a, I'm necessarily a model or anything, or that I'm a better person or anything like that, but I I can confidently stand before you and say that every major life decision I have made as an adult, I did after a period of fasting. I'm not saying that to brag, but I'm telling you it's the truth. When I was graduating college and I was trying to figure out, I knew I was called into ministry, didn't know where, didn't know how, didn't know what I was going to do. I spent two weeks. I didn't eat a thing for two weeks, and I spent time seeking the Lord. All I drank was water, and that's what opened the door for me to come to Arkansas and work uh, with Teen Challenge. When um, I was getting married, well, we were dating, and we started dating in November, and that January, I, I began a fast for 37 days. Now, I didn't, I, didn't, I ate for 37 days, but I, I fast, I did basically the Daniel fast, the no meats, no sweets, no breads, uh, veggies and water was, was my fast for, and fruits for 37 days. The Lord told me, he said, you need to fast the tithe of your year. Year's 365 days, so I fasted for 37 days. Spent time, I knew I knew that I wanted to marry her. I knew that we had a life together in the future, but I wanted to make sure before I jumped in anything that I spent time and gave the Lord the first fruits of my year. I finished the fast, I guess, 37 days. I would have finished on like February 6th or 7th. And then the next day, I was, uh, or the next week, I was buying a ring. I was ready to go because I had spent time with the Lord and I would felt the Lord gave me the okay to move forward and propose and get married. And it was, some, it was after a period of prolonged fasting and prayer. Before we came to this church, to pastor this church, we spent time fasting and praying, Lord, is this where you want to go? We don't want to go unless you're leading us here, unless you're taking us there. And God, this is a step of faith for us, and we need to know that we've got your assurance that you're with us. And so I spent time fasting and praying. And and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've been in full-time ministry for 10 years, and I've only worked in two full-time ministries, but it's been 10 years. But just about every year, another opportunity has come along where, hey, will you come and do this? Will you pastor here? Will you work here? That kind of thing. And I'll be honest with you. I never say just no from the very beginning because I want to make sure that I'm hearing from the Lord. And so every time that something like that has come up, I've spent time fasting and I've spent time praying. And so this is the only one I ever took was to come here. But so at least eight or nine times I've spent time fasting and the Lord said no. The Lord said, no, that's not the door I'm opening for you. That was a time I spent, Lord, I don't want to, I don't trust myself to make good decisions all the time. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I don't. I can't see what's coming down the pipe. I can't see what's waiting down the road for me. And so, God, I got to spend time getting close to you because you know what's going to happen before it happens. So I need you to lead me and direct my steps and guide me. So I've spent time fasting. When you face a major life decision, 
I want to encourage you that you get in the habit of saying, I'm not going to say yes or no yet. I'm going to spend time praying and fasting and getting a word from the Lord and getting direction from the Lord. He'll give you peace in that time and he'll begin to speak to you when you do that. Number 11, when we fast, God refreshes our spiritual eyes. Look at this. The Lord will guide you continually, verse 11, and satisfy your soul in drought, strengthen your bones, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. When we fast, God refreshes our spiritual lives. If you have been in a place, and I've said this a few weeks ago too when we were talking about His presence, if you've been in a place where you've been feeling spiritually dry, you need to rediscover the art of having spiritual discipline. I know it sounds counterintuitive to say that being disciplined will actually revive and bring you spiritual life, but it will. The reason people go dry in their spiritual life is not because they were doing everything right spiritually. It's because a slow fade of, I've figured it out, so I'll just stop coming to church regularly, and I'll stop reading my Bible regularly, and I'll pray when I really need something, but I won't spend time with the Lord in prayer. And there's this slow fade, and then all of a sudden you're dry. Why? Because you quit digging. You want water, you got to dig. And if you're running dry, you have to dig deeper. And so if you want to be spiritually refreshed, you've got to put the work in. I know that we don't like to talk about the... We, but I'm just saved by grace and I'm going to make it to heaven one day. No, there's, there's discipline involved in following Jesus. Why did he call them his disciples? Because following him means there's a discipline to it. And when you are disciplined, the yoke is easy and the burden is light because you find out you really enjoy the disciplines. <laughs> You really enjoy being close to him and it refreshes you and you walk refreshed. He says, I'll, I'll refresh you or satisfy your soul in drought and I will strengthen your bones. Number 12, when we fast, God strengthens our faith. You will find a stronger faith inside you when you begin to make fasting a regular practice in your life, a regular discipline in your life. Number 13, when we fast, God promises spiritual growth. I'm gonna make you a guarantee if you will make fasting a regular part of your walk with Christ, I guarantee you, you will grow as a Christian. You will not stay the same. Pastor Katie just a few weeks ago stood on this platform and she said, are you in the same place now that you were a year ago spiritually? Or have you moved forward or have you gone backward? And if you've gone backward or you're, in, or you're stagnant, then you need to do some work in your life to get revive and refresh your spiritual life. And one way to do that, if you want to grow, if you want to be further along next year than you are now, make fasting a regular part of your life. You will grow. There's no, it, it is a law. It is truth. It is fact. If you make this a regular practice, you will grow. If you have been unsatisfied with where you are in your Christian walk, in your Christian life, I want to encourage you to make this a practice in your life. Verse 12. Those from among you shall rebuild the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repair of the breach, and the restorer of paths in which to dwell. Number 14, and I'm going to close. Pastor Katie, would you come? When we fast, God enables us to rebuild what was lost and restore what was broken. 
when we fast, when we take to God our own brokenness, our own failures and our own faults, maybe it's not even ours. Maybe we're fasting on behalf of someone else and practicing interceding for somebody else and praying for a need someone else has. God says, when you, when you come to me and you follow and you do a godly fast, not just one to show off and not just one to seem spiritual, but you're, you're fasting, you're seeking after me, you're separating from the natural in order to connect with the spiritual. When you're giving to the poor and making sure that those around you are taken care of, when you set back from the table so someone else can take a seat, when you do that, you're going to see broken things come back together. And it even said, it says... Uh, you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. I don't know about y'all, but if you go back a few generations in my family timeline, everybody was saved. It was, everyone was in church, everyone was living for the Lord. Now, they weren't perfect, I'm not saying that, but it was a normal thing. You go back a, just a few generations in our nation's history, Church attendance was at 90, 100% in our population. Just back a few generations from here. And he says, if we'll commit ourselves to fasting and prayer, what? He will raise up the foundations from many generations ago. And the things we used to stand on as solid and sure will be restored and brought back. He'll restore. He'll repair the breach and restore the paths in which to dwell. I want to ask you what's broken in your life. Maybe, I mean, you, I'm not, this isn't saying that anyone's a bad person. Everybody has some level of brokenness somewhere in your life. It's not, you, there's nothing wrong with you if you say there's some brokenness in my life. In fact, if there's some brokenness in your life, you know what? That means you're just a candidate for a miracle. All of us have some area that there is brokenness in our life. And maybe it's something big like a marriage or maybe it's something big like a, like a, a relationship with a child or with a parent, that kind of thing. Maybe it's a business that the business just isn't succeeding and things aren't going well. We've been in a pandemic, an economic downturn, and we're struggling financially. Uh, maybe it's I, I'm, I'm dealing with this one like I, I'm living for God and I love God and I know I'm saved but I just can't shake this one nagging sin that I can't seem to get rid of or shake loose of what's broken maybe it's a broken heart maybe someone's hurt you or wounded you maybe it's a relationship with God and not even they're saying that you're a sinner bound for hell but there's just this place in your life where you feel like God didn't come through. God didn't answer a prayer the way you thought he should or would or something didn't turn out the way you thought it would and there's a brokenness even there in your relationship with God. You're afraid to even admit that because does that mean I'm not a Christian or I don't love God? No, it doesn't. It just means you've been hurt. He never hurts you intentionally. Like I said last week, sometimes the surgeon uses a knife, but it's always to heal, never to wound. So what's broken in your life? What needs to be rebuilt? 
Maybe there was a point in time in your life where, you know what? I was on fire for God. I was living for God. I was reading my, I was spending time in prayer. I was doing what God called me to do. I was on my way doing what, what I was supposed to be doing in my spiritual life. But you know what? That foundation's kind of crumbled. And I'm in church this morning or I'm watching online because someone made me come. Someone told me I had to come. Someone expected me. But, but, but you know what? that foundation on Christ that I'd once built, it's starting to crumble and I needed to be rebuilt. I'm not really where I have been in the past. Not walking the way I should. Not living the way I should. At one point, it was there. But now, some things have started to crumble and fall. He said, Those among you shall rebuild the old waste places, shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach and restorer of paths in which to dwell. Maybe you would say, if you look back in my family and generations, you would say, there was a breach somewhere where there was a breach of trust, where the enemy was allowed into a family system or a family cycle and it's led to systemic issues in my family or generational issues in my family. And just like there's when there's a breach in a dam, what started off as just a little crack and a little sin has turned into a breach in that dam and now there's just been this flood of stuff that's distracting us from God and from living from God and doing what we need to do and, and, and being who we need to be. And it's just rushed in. And what started as a little crack, just a little compromise, it's turned into a breach. And it's affected my whole family. It's affected generations. What's he say? He says, if you would turn to me, repent, fast, pray. If you would follow after me, you shall be called repairer of the breach. You sitting in this room today, watching online today, your decision to be disciplined in your walk with the Lord could repair something that's been going on in your family for generations. You could be the one to put a stop to something that's been happening in your family for generations. I was talking to someone recently. They were struggling with their marriage, not anyone, even local. Struggling in their marriage and and the, the, the word divorce was getting thrown around pretty, pretty seriously talk to the, and there was no, I want to be clear, there was no abuse, there was no unfaithfulness, there was nothing like that. There was no scriptural grounds for divorce. It was just we weren't getting along. And I, I, I spoke to the wife and I said, let's look back in your family history for a minute. How many times have both your parents been married and divorced? A couple each. Go back another generation, there was even more. And I looked at her and said, all you know is that marriage is a temporary agreement that can be broken as soon as you don't get along. And you've been taught that in a family generation, generations down. This young lady, she had been in church and serving the Lord for about a year, year and a half, was young in the Lord. And I said, you get to be the one to break the cycle in your family. You get to be the one to say, you know what? This is how we've always done it. And there's been a breach in our ability to make a covenant and make a lasting marriage last. But you get to be the one to say, nope, 
I'm breaking this right now. I'm going to repair what has been crumbling in my family line. And I'm going to walk with the Lord and I'm going to see God do a miracle in my marriage. When we turn to God, he says, you can rebuild what's been laid waste in your life. You can raise up the foundations that have been crumbling for generations. You can be the one to repair the breach and restore the path in your family. Would you stand with me this morning?